Nehemiah chapter 4, as we continue our journey through the book of Nehemiah. If you need a Bible to follow along with us, just raise your hand and Pastor John will slip you a Bible and turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. While you're turning there, a number of things in your bulletin I'm just going to highlight very quickly, but take a look at it. Or um, if you don't have a bulletin, we uh, ran out today. And, um, but we do have tomorrow, um, young adults, at, it's at 7 o'clock. And uh, so we remind you of that. Then, also, no, there is, where's Travis? Travis, no young adults tomorrow. Because of the Chess uh, High School Ensemble and Choir, all right? So that's at 7 o'clock. Downtown, 10th and 10th, the First United Methodist Church, come out. I know that you will be blessed. The um, elementary and middle schoolers had their choir and ensemble on Tuesday night. It was a wonderful, wonderful time that we had. It was a tremendous blessing. So tomorrow night, the high schoolers, uh, the choir and ensemble, is 7 o'clock, it's free. Bring a friend, come on out. I know you'll be tremendously blessed. And then on Friday, 6.30 to 8.30, uh, is youth, middle schoolers, and high schoolers, so they'll be here. And, uh, and parents, just have them bring a jacket because they might go outside and run around and play some dodgeball. I have been banned from dodgeball, so um, I won't be there um, playing dodgeball. I don't know, maybe I'll sneak out there, but um, they might go out for a little bit, so the days are getting a little longer and they try to take advantage of the weather. It's getting a little warm, so um, it's a lot of fun for them. So 6.30 to 8.30. Saturday morning, 7 o'clock, guys, we have our men's prayer, so join us for that. 8 o'clock, men's breakfast over at Golden Corral that we do customarily on the first Saturday of the month. Come join us, guys, for that. And then, ladies, you have a brunch here, uh, 10.30 to noon, so have a great time. That information is there. Bring a dish to share and uh, for that brunch on Saturday. Sunday morning, uh, we will have our uh, Sunday morning services, 8.30 and 10.30. We're going to finish chapter 3 of the book of Galatians, a very important study. Uh, it's been a wonderful study that we've been embarked in. And of course, Paul in chapters 1 and 2 was uh, defending the gospel of grace that he had brought to them because the Judaizers, the legalists, had come in to the churches of Galatia and said, here's another gospel, that it's not only faith in Jesus Christ alone that brings salvation and justification, but you have to be circumcised. So Paul begins to defend the one true gospel, and that is a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And then in chapters 3 and 4, he gets them established once again in the gospel of grace. And then chapters 5 and 6, we will see that he will give application for us how it is that we live in grace. What does that mean? It means that we walk after the Spirit, that we live for the Lord. And so wonderful studies coming up. We'll finish chapter 3, beginning at verse 15 to verse 29, so you can look ahead. Also invite a friend out to Calvary Chapel on Sunday morning, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. We're going to have a baptism over at uh, the uh, Hope Therapy Center and right across the parking lot, so 2 o'clock for that. And, uh, and if any, any of you have kids that want to be baptized, if they understand as you talk to them, parents, about baptism, and um, then bring them, and uh, we're going to have a wonderful time. And of course, baptism is that symbolism that you are saved, um, that you identify with Christ, is that public proclamation that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going to do on Sunday at 2 o'clock. And so if you've got any questions about baptism, come and see me or call me uh, at the you know, church office tomorrow, and I'll be happy to talk to you about that, answer any questions that you might have, or even if your kids might have any questions, I'll be happy to talk to them. Um, so that's what we got going on. And then on Sunday next week through the following Saturday um, that we're going to have 
uh, a week, as I've been mentioning, and there's a flyer in your uh, bulletin. Uh, we're going to set that week aside as a fellowship for prayer and fasting and really seeking the Lord. So we're looking forward to that. We will be here next Wednesday at 7 o'clock, and uh, we're just going to have a time of extended prayer, and, and uh, we'll be here 7 o'clock all through the week, Monday through Friday, and having uh, just a time of prayer for you to come and join us uh, for that. And then also the sanctuary will be open from 11 o'clock to 1 o'clock during lunch that you can come in and just spend some time in prayer. How it is that you fast is between you and the Lord. So it might be you fast a meal, might be you fast your favorite dessert, uh, you might fast, you know, Starbucks for the week, whatever it might be. Also, as I mentioned to you, that I want to take it just a little bit further, that for some of you, maybe it may be also including, you know what, I'm going to put, you know, one of the social media things away, uh, you know, Pinterest, uh, um, Facebook away for the week. I'm just going to focus on the Lord, and instead of spending that time, what I normally do, I'm just going to spend some, you know, on those things or watching TV or on the computer or whatever. I'm going to spend some time with the Lord. And so that's, again, between you and the Lord as we will just enter that week. And what a tremendous blessing it will be is Jeremiah chapter 30 that the Lord declares that as you call upon me, that I will do great and awesome things that you do not know. And I don't want to get away from the priority of prayer in the Word of God here at Calvary Chapel. So I think it's going to be important for us. We've been really busy. A lot of things going on here at Calvary Chapel. To just be able to slow down, to just be able to stop, and to be able to just be quiet before the Lord and to seek the Lord in prayer. So that's what my hope and prayer is for you individually, for your family, and also for this church family that we do that next week. And then after next week, then we go into Easter week, and we'll get all those services. We'll have our Wednesday night service. We'll have a Good Friday service, three Sunday morning services for Easter, and we'll get that information and some flyers out uh, for you to be able to uh, invite somebody to the Easter services that week. So we'll talk about that on Sunday. Lord, I do pray that tonight as we right now open up our Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 4, that you would bless this time in the study of your word. Lord, as we will come to the communion table and remember what Jesus did for us in going to the cross as we've entered into this new covenant, um, a covenant where um, our sins are forgiven, what Jesus did on the cross and dying for our sins, allowing his body to be broken and his bloodshed for forgiveness of sin. And Lord, I pray that tonight as we look at this historical account of the children of Israel building a wall around Jerusalem, that, Lord, that we would make application, we would have clarity and understanding and the things that we're going to read, and, Lord, that we would be encouraged and edified and taught, and, Lord, that we would be comforted. And so, Lord, we give this time to you in the study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 445 B.C., the Medo-Persian Empire is in power the king is Artaxerxes. He's been in power for about 20 years. The cupbearer to him is a man named Nehemiah, as you know. Nehemiah was not one that was born in Judah. He was uh, born to one of the captives of Judah. And even though that the decree came out almost 100 years before that they could come back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, which they would do in 520 B.C. as they completed the temple about that time, 
And then it would be later on that Ezra would come back with a group of people. Ezra, that scribe and that spiritual leader, leading the people spiritually, calling them into holiness. And then shortly after that, 445 BC, as Nehemiah is there serving the king, he gets word from his brother that Jerusalem still lay in rubble, that the walls have not been built or the streets. And we know one of the reasons for that is because Artaxerxes had already written a letter to them that you cannot do that until I give the command to do that. So Nehemiah, he's serving chapter 1 uh, before the king, um, as the cupbearer chapter 2 tells us, how he was saddened before the king. Artaxerxes asked him, why is it that you're full of sorrow, Nehemiah? And he said, because my people, uh, they live in reproach and in discouragement and in fear because the walls are down. And he asked the king to go back to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And so the command is given to Artaxerxes that uh, you can go back and rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. And again, I want to remind you that we tied that in with Daniel chapter 9 and part of the prophecy that is given to us in the 70 weeks of Daniel. Amazing prophecy that when the command comes out to rebuild and restore Jerusalem until the coming of Messiah the Prince shall be six weeks and uh, 62, uh, uh, 42 weeks. So um, a period of seven weeks, 60, uh, 42 weeks, uh, 483 years, and we went over that um, prophecy, and it's an amazing prophecy that was fulfilled as Jesus got on a donkey 483 years later to the day, as you do the math, uh, after the command came out to rebuild and restore Jerusalem in Nehemiah chapter 2, and we see that he rode into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry of uh, Jerusalem. And so you might want to review that, that we went over that very carefully in chapter 2. And then as Nehemiah would go to Jerusalem in chapter 3, we saw that Jerusalem, as he would um, you know, begin to build the walls around Jerusalem, you recall that he surveyed the city. Um, he would go to the people and he said that we have the command from the king that the Lord's hand is on us. So let us uh, build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And the people would then say together, let us rise up and build. And then they set their hands to do this good work. And we saw last week in chapter 3 that as they're building the walls, they're fixing the gates, and they would repair the gates, and they would begin to put the stones together. And we see the list of the people that were doing the work, and we saw the phrase over and over again, this person next to this person, this person in front of their home, uh, this person and this group would repair this gate. And we made all kinds of application in chapter 3 how it is that you and I, that we can build the kingdom of God because God wants to use you. He wants to use me. And here's the thing about ministry. Here's the thing about as we, you know, journey in life as Christians, that Paul the Apostle writing to the Corinthian church, he said that we're like the human body, that is the body of Christ. And he likens it to our human bodies. There's all kinds of members, and each one of those members has a certain function. And as we look at our bodies, our bodies are amazing how God created us. We got fingers and hands and arms. We got eyes and ears and mouths and uh, feet and toes and, and legs. There's literally millions of, of little minute parts of the body, and each has a function in it, so the whole body works together the way that it's supposed to. Well, that's the way it is with the body of Christ. 
You see, we all receive giftings from the Lord and callings and different ministries, and we minister in different ways and the opportunities that God gives to us and how he gifts us and and how he uh, begins to use us and where he's placed us. So the body of Christ can function in a way that it's supposed to, to be edifying one another, to be lifting each other up, to be encouraged in the things of the Lord, but also to be a light to a dark world out there. So we talked about those things last week. And then chapter four, as we now move into this chapter, we're going to see that as God is working, now the opposition comes. And that's the truth that we see throughout the scriptures that you and I need to remember that as God is working in our lives, that as you are growing in the word of God, as you are living for the Lord, desiring to please the Lord, as you are giving to him, as you are serving him, know this, that opposition will come against you. And sometimes Christians get thrown for a loop when that happens. And I guarantee you that if fruit is being produced in your life, as you live for the Lord and serve the Lord, as you give to the Lord, that the enemy is going to rise up and oppose that work. And so as we go through this chapter, we're going to see how the enemy comes and discourages us and fights against us. And then we're going to see how the people and how Nehemiah responded to that. So my hope and prayer is a great encouragement to us as we go through this. Let's begin to read in chapter 4, Nehemiah, verse 1. But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, that our, you know, what are these feeble? Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? In verse 3, now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. So Sanballat, he is one that rises up to oppose this work. His name actually means thorn in secret. And he was a real thorn to Nehemiah and to the people here doing the work of the Lord in Jerusalem. He, he was a thorn. He was a problem. He has a sidekick. His name is Tobiah. And we read in verse 1 that it says that he was very furious. He, he was one that was very indignant. Uh, that means he was angry. He was resentful. He was disgruntled greatly offended that the Jews are rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. And as we know in our lives, and even as a church, that as God is working in our lives and using us and growing us, that know this, that there's going to be the enemy that's going to rise up and he's going to be furious. He's going to be angry at us. He's going to be very indignant because he does not want you to live for the Lord. He doesn't want you growing in the Word of God. He doesn't want fruit that's produced in your life. And He doesn't want you serving the Lord, certainly, to be a witness to others of the reality of Jesus Christ in your life and the gospel message. And He's going to rise up and He's going to be very angry at what's happening here at Calvary Chapel, that the Lord is doing a marvelous work here. So the enemy is furious. The enemy is going to be upset. He's going to be very disgruntled and offended that we're ones that were growing in the Lord. And Satan will talk to his demons, listen, and they will try to come against you and me. They will come up with a plan of attack. 
they will begin to do what we see here is happening. They will first of all begin to mock us. And we need to understand, Christians, that it's a spiritual warfare that is, you know, taking place all around us, and we are in a battleground. Being a Christian so oftentimes is presented as a big playground, but it's a battleground. And there is uh, something very real that is going on, and that is a spiritual war that has taken place. And Paul writes about that in Ephesians chapter 6, and he tells us to be strong in the Lord. And as you read Ephesians chapter 6, taking on the whole armor of God, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, the apostle writes, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. And then he goes through the different armors that are listed there that is worth for you looking at and studying, which we have done that before here at Calvary Chapel, going through the book of Ephesians. So it is a spiritual warfare that is out there. The enemy's throwing fiery darts at us. And we know that Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthian believers in 2 Corinthians, he would say, don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. And one of his devices is he will begin to discourage us. He'll, he is, of course, the one Revelation chapter 12 tells us, is the accuser of the brethren who accuses us day and night. He accuses us day and night. He begins to mock us. He accuses us and he criticizes. He brings discouragement. And you see, one of the reasons that I see that Christians quit in serving the Lord is because they end up being discouraged by the enemy. Discouragement comes to them. All of a sudden, they, they, they begin to be uh, listening to the enemy begin to mock them and put them down and bring them down. And that's what the enemy will do with you and me. And I've seen it happen to where we begin to really then condemn ourselves. And so that's what's happening here. And we see that here is Sanballat. How is it that he's mocking these Jews doing the work of the Lord? Well, number one, we read in verse two, he says the Jews are feeble. That is, that they're weak, they're frail, they're poor. And you know what? That is true. That without the Lord, we are weak. And that we are poor. And we are frail. And we've talked about this quite a bit. That you remember that when they came back after the captivity and they came back to rebuild the temple, Zerubbabel and Joshua, and they were told by the prophet Zechariah as they began to do that work and then the work stopped. They laid the foundation of the temple and then all of a sudden for a number of years the work didn't continue. And so Zechariah brought a message to Zerubbabel and said, Zerubbabel, the hands that started to build the temple are going to be the hands that completed it. The Lord's going to do that work. Don't despise the day of small things. But it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. We need the Holy Spirit working in our lives. We need to be dependent upon the Lord. We need to be surrendered to him. We need to come to him and, and recognize our need for him, not only for salvation, but Lord, the work that you want to do in my life. 
You see, Jesus, when he was writing those seven letters to the seven churches, and the last letter that he wrote to in Revelation chapter 3, the church of Laodicea. Many of you know what Jesus had to say about that church. They were the church that was called the lukewarm church. And, and he would say to them, and Laodicea was a very wealthy city back then. They were ones that were known for wealth. They were known for uh, having a very beautiful city. The Roman circus would come there. Lots of entertainment. Things were good in Laodicea. So they were ones, the Christians, that had wealth and they had uh, uh, a lot of, um, you know, things going for them to the world standard. And this is what Jesus said to them. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. It wasn't a sin because they had wealth. But it was a sin because they weren't dependent upon the Lord. And they thought that they were really something, that they were okay because of the worldly things that they had. You see, what we need is the Lord, and we need to depend on Him. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall be filled. So we need to be surrendered to Him. We need to come to Him. And, and we need to, to let the Lord do that work that He wants to do in us. Second of all, we, we see is how they mock them. Is, is, here is Sanballat saying, will they sacrifice? The idea is, are they going to seek their God and really expect God to do this work through them, to help them? You know, that's what Satan does, the accuser of the brethren. He'll whisper to you and to me, does God really want to, to work through you? Does God really want to help you? And I don't think that any of us, or at least most of us in this room, if, if not all of us, that we believe that God can do a marvelous work, that he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. But this is where we can become uh, kind of weak sometimes and, and kind of falter in our faith a little bit. We think, Lord, will you? And do you want to do a work in my life? Do you want to use me? Do you want to strengthen me? Do you want to grow me? Do you want to work in this situation that I'm in? Do you, do you want to work in the ministry that I have? Maybe it might be parents raising your children in the ways of the Lord. Or it might be that you're ministering to somebody at work or a family member. Or you're serving in some way. Lord, do you really want to do a work in me? Do you want to grow me and mature me? Oh, we know that he can, but it is he see us in a way that he wants to do that work in us and know this, that he does. God wants to bless you and use you. and He wants to strengthen you. He wants to give you, mom and dads, that wisdom to raise your children in the ways of the Lord. He wants us to be strong and have good courage. He wants us to stand for him, to be used of him. And he will do that work in us as we just yield to him. Thirdly here, are they going to fortify themselves? In other words, do they really think that this can happen? It won't happen. This is ridiculous. And again, sometimes we think, Lord, are you really going to make this happen? Are your promises true for me? And his promises are true for you and for me. And then fourthly, how they were mocked is Sanballat is saying, will they complete it in a day? In other words, what he was saying what he was trying to get them to believe is this is too hard, this is too difficult, it takes too much time. I know that I have felt that way at times in my life. 
that I've thought, this is too hard, this is too difficult. Uh, Lord, I can't do it. And you know what the Lord has said and taught me over the years? Is, Jeff, you can't do it on your own. That it needs to be me that is working through you, working in you, and I'll do the work for you. You see, he doesn't want us to just do it out of our own energies and our own togetherness and intellect and all of this, as I mentioned previously. But sometimes as we come to that point, and oftentimes, and the Lord will allow us to realize as we look at the things, and it's not easy today raising our children in the ways of the Lord, is it, moms and dads? It isn't easy standing for, for truth at the workplace or with others that are linked to you in your life as they come and make fun of you. It isn't easy all the time, you know, living for the Lord. It can be hard at times. And that's when the Lord says, Come and learn of me and take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I'm going to be the one that's going to be the source of your strength and the source of, of, of your comfort and your wisdom to be able to live that life the way that I want you to live. And I know that it is hard, especially in the day in which we're living in, where we see a world that's getting further away from the Lord. But listen, I do want to put this reminder uh, in our you know, thinking here, and don't forget this. Yes, it can be hard being a Christian and living for the Lord, but I'll tell you what is much harder, and that is not knowing the Lord and not living for Him. You see, we are blessed because we have God's Word given to us and God's Spirit working in us. We are able to, to experience that life abundantly that Jesus promised for us. See, we don't have to get caught up in the deception and the darkness and the weirdness of the world. We don't have to be a part of that. I'll tell you what's harder is those who don't have Jesus Christ that don't have God's Word and God's wisdom and God's peace. And that's why we need to be a witness to them. And we need to, to bring people to Jesus. And we need to, to encourage them in the truth of God's word. And then we see, fifthly, that here is Sanballat saying, will they revive the stones? They don't have the resources to do this work. There's nothing but rubble to work with. And Isaiah, of course, as he was prophesying, that he would say that the Lord is the one that takes the ashes of our lives and make something beautiful out of it. And a lot of us that are in this room, that the Lord has done a marvelous thing in saving us and restoring us and doing a marvelous work, <laughs> that we can look at our past before we came to Christ and we can see the ashes that were there, the difficulties, the deadness, uh, just the, the, the pain that was there in the bondage. And the Lord has freed us from all that and he's making something beautiful out of that. And that is you. A man or a woman that loves him and is walking with him. That's been transformed, born again by the Spirit of God. And it's wonderful to see of a person that is living in that newness of life. Only God can do that. So here is this mocking that's going on. And then in verse 3, Tobiah, he, he says, even if a fox goes up on it, he'll break down their stone wall. And, and great discouragement would come, which works against faith, doesn't it? And trust in God. 
And again, the enemy, he'll use these same tactics as he mocks us in verse 4. What is the response of Nehemiah? Well, he says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. And do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So how does Nehemiah respond to this? Does he get into a big argument with them? Does he start, start to mock back? No, he doesn't. But what he does is he prays. He prays. And when the enemy is really coming against us and trying to discourage us and mock us, the thing that you and I are to do is that we are to pray, take it to God. When the times of attack and discouragement comes by others, God wants us to pray and to seek Him and to rely on Him. Nehemiah prays that these accusations would, be, would backfire and, and turn the tables, that they may know that you are with us, Lord. And then in verse 6, so we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. They would continue to build. They continue the work, a, a, a measure of maturity that's going on in our lives spiritually and a measure of good leadership, whether you're leading your homes or leading in some way as you're ministering to others, is not to listen, let the criticism keep you from being sensitive to God's work. If you focus on the criticism, and any one of us will be criticized as a parent as a man of God, as a woman of God, as a leader in the church, whatever it might be, because none of us are perfect. And the enemy will come along and he'll remind us of our struggles and our shortcomings and our failings. And here's the thing, that we can't focus on the criticism and the mocking. Rather, we need to focus on the Lord and his calling in our life. Remember that they had authority from the king. Xerxes said that the command is given to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. And Sanballat and Tobiah could not legally stop the work. They could only discourage. They could only plot to come against them and mock against them. Listen, Satan has no direct authority over you. Sometimes I talk to Christians that it seems like they talk more to Satan than they do to God. Because they're all into, you know, Satan does this and Satan does that. And we need to be aware that he's powerful. We need to be aware that he comes against us. But you keep your focus on the Lord. And here's the thing to remember. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. That's what the word of God declares to you and to me. And Elijah in the Old Testament, do you recall that he, he prayed to the Lord as the Syrian army surrounded his home and his servant saw that and he said, wow, the Syrians are out there. And Elijah prayed, Lord, open up his eyes and his eyes were opened up and he saw that greater were those who were with Elijah and his servant, that is the angelic host all around the Syrian army than those who were coming against them. Know this, that Satan, yes, he wars against us. He will try to tempt us. He's powerful, but here's the thing. He has no direct authority over you as a Christian. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, for you note-takers, it's important to understand that, as we see, Paul writes, having wiped out the handwriting and requirements, speaking of Jesus, that was against us, which was contrary to us, 
and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to a cross. In other words, Jesus died for our sins. The handwriting of requirements, what was that? We've been studying it in Galatians. That if you and I want to make it to heaven in our own efforts, you have to live a perfect life. You have to, to obey the law and fulfill the law perfectly. The problem is, as we're going to see on Sunday, that the purpose of the law was not to declare us righteous, it declares us guilty. We can't keep the law. And the purpose of the law was to be a tutor to point us to Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to cover carefully on Sunday morning. But here's the thing. Jesus, because of his death on the cross, provision of uh, forgiveness of sin, that provision is there as we come to him. So the handwriting requirement has been wiped out. There, it's been nailed to the cross, nailed it and, and taken it out of the way. And then verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it. In other words that as Jesus died on the cross for you and for me, as we come to him, as we're born again by the Spirit of God, and the Holy Spirit is in us, then the enemy, he has been stripped of his power and authority over us. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them. The people in this day reading that would know the term that Paul's using is a military term, that when the Romans would capture the enemy, they would strip the enemy and parade them through the, the street of the city that they captured, you know, naked, making a public spectacle of them. That's what it means. So we can praise God that, Lord, that you're in my heart, and Lord, you're working in my life. And so Nehemiah, he responds by praying. He responds by going to the Lord. And, and we read in verse 6 that as they continue to build again, so we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, continue the work that we see that he focused on the Lord and calling out to the Lord. They had a mind to work. I like that in verse 6. They were determined to work. Listen, Christian, don't quit. Don't quit. Sometimes we can grow weary in doing good. And we know that as we're going to see in Galatians chapter 6 when we get there, that we're going to be exhorted not to grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't quit. The Lord is going to finish that work that He's begun in you. He's going to work through you and in you. You keep your eyes on Him, just as Paul would write, keep your eyes on the things above, not on the things of this world. In verse 7, now it happened when Sanballat and Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps beginning to be closed, that they became very angry, and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. So the work is halfway done, the discouragement and attacks continue, and know this, that the enemy is going to keep coming at you and me. He's going to keep coming at this church. He will do that. You know, the enemy hates us. It isn't like the enemy says, you know, I think that I'll give Pastor Jeff a break for a while. I'm going to have him take the summer off. You know, he's been working really hard. You know, I've been kind of, you know, trying to discourage him, come against him and all this. I think he could use the break. No, he isn't that way at all. 
Matter of fact, the more that God is growing you and you're growing in the Lord and you're becoming closer to him, you're serving the Lord, the enemy is going to become very furious and angry at you and he's going to continue his attacks against you on this side of eternity. It will continue until the Lord takes us home. It reminds me of Moses in chapter 31. Moses, 40 years in the wilderness, all the difficulties and the trials and those who came against him and, and all that that he went through. And then in Numbers chapter 31, towards the end of his life, the Lord says, Moses, I got one more battle for you against the Midianites. And then, and then I'm going to take you home to be with your brethren. The Lord will keep or the Lord is going to protect us and guide us and see us through, but know that the enemy is going to keep coming at you and me. So here they're going to try to confuse, to attack. They're going to threaten to attack. In verse 9, we do read that, nevertheless, we made our prayers to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. So Nehemiah, number one, he prays. You and I are to be men and women of prayer. It's a key to victory in our Christian lives. Sometimes we get so overwhelmed with the circumstances or being discouraged that we don't pray. And it can be hard. And those are the times that we really, really need to pray and go to the Lord. But then secondly, what he does is he set a watch. And we need to set a watch. In other words, as the New Testament tells us, and as Peter tells us in his epistle, we need to be watching, to be sober, to be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Don't go to sleep spiritually. Don't get lazy. And Nehemiah here is committed to continue to do the work. Why? Because God has told us to do this work, and he has trust in the Lord. In verse 10, then uh, Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. So not only does the discouragement come from the outside, the enemy, but it comes from within, from the tribe of Judah. It comes not only from the enemy, Satan, coming against us, but it comes from within. And here we see that the tribe of Judah, the people are saying our strength is failing. You know, we can get tired, don't we? And I know that I can get tired in ministry, but I never get tired of ministry. And Jesus, he would minister to the multitudes, great multitudes that were pressing in on him. And he would say to his disciples, let's get into a boat and let's get away. Let's go to a quiet place. Jesus would find himself up on the mountains praying to his father. And they would come and they would find him. But here's the thing that's real important, that when we do feel like we're getting tired, and we will, maybe just being tired and, and working hard for your family or whatever it might be, take care of yourself. Take care of yourself spiritually. We need to do that. And have those times of, of rest. And have those times where we get away. I think the Lord is, is telling me that, um, you know, more and more. That make sure that, that you take heed to yourself. Just as Paul would tell the Ephesian elders. And then minister to the flock of God. In other words, he's not saying focus on yourself, but take heed to yourself. In other words, take care of yourself spiritually. Make sure you're spending that time with me. And it happens practically every day by having that quiet time with the Lord, the devotion with the Lord. I cannot emphasize that enough. 
that we should be doing that daily, consistently, constantly, going before the Lord. But then even those seasons that we need to stop and we need to be refreshed and we need to be renewed. See, my tendency can be when I get tired, I got to do more work so I can try to finish up everything. It doesn't work very well that way. And I end up getting more tired and then more grumpy and more discouraged. And I need to learn that there are times when we stop. There's all kinds of things that we need to do here. And that's why I think, again, that it's going to be a good thing for us to just stop next week as a church. Just slow down and to be able to take that time to really seek the Lord in the services that we have next week. So here he, he says, or they say, our strength is failing, and then too much rubble. It's too much. It's too hard. It's too difficult. Again, that's what the enemy was saying, and now the people are beginning to believe that. It can be overwhelming, can it? And that's, again, why we need to be praying and slowing down and seeking the Lord and keep our eyes on the Lord. One of the things that I've learned is ministry can really consume you if you're not careful. There's always another person to counsel. There's always another meeting to be had. There's always a hospital visit. There's always something to be done all the time. And we need to be ones that we need to make sure that in those times where we're feeling overwhelmed or you know, you're just treading water, again, to go to the Lord and then allow him to just be able to minister to us and strengthen us and refresh us. And then in verse 11, and our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came and they told us 10 times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. So the enemy plans to attack and, and you know, um, he's, what the people are doing is is they're repeating it over and over again. This is hard. Look at all the rubbish. This is, you know, our strength is failing and it's beginning to spread. And they're actually starting to bring people down in that. We need to be careful that we're not bringing each other down, that we're building each other up. This is a real low point right now in the work that they are doing. Listen, we need to make sure that we're not ones that are just, you know, being negative all the time, that negative attitude and being critical, and, and we begin to, to, you know, that begins to spread. That can happen. Paul, again, when he was writing to the Galatian believers, he said, make sure that you don't bite and devour one another so that you consume one another. And I've seen it happen in churches and in ministries where all of a sudden the people are biting and devouring one another and bringing each other down and, and, and being negative when the Bible says that let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, that you're to be you know, saying what is necessary for edification, that we need to have our speech seasoned with salt and with grace, that we need to be ones that we're building each other up and encouraging each other and strengthening each other. And that's what happens here at Calvary Chapel, and I'm so thankful for it. I pray that we never, never come to that point where we bite and devour one another. That's not of the Lord, and it grieves the Lord. So here is they're just, you know, tell us ten times over and over again, it's too much, it's too hard, we can't do this, you know, and just bringing people down 
in this low point. But what does Nehemiah do? I love this. Therefore, I positioned the men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families and with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and, and to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people and said, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord great and awesome and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. What does Nehemiah do? Again, a man of prayer. And it was time to act. He places the men by the walls to defend against the enemy. And he says, number one, remember the Lord. That's the key to victory. Remember him, that he is great and awesome. There is no problem or circumstances too difficult for him to work. He's the creator of the universe, and he created you. And he's a powerful God. He's all-powerful. And he is great and he is awesome. And we need to remember that. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And second of all, don't be afraid. We're told repeatedly in the scripture not to be afraid. You know why? Because we become afraid, don't we? There are times in our lives when we're overwhelmed and we're feeling discouraged and there are circumstances that we face that we become afraid. And the Lord says you don't have to be afraid. I haven't given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And in those times when we're afraid, we can pray, Lord, your word declares for me to be strong of good courage. Lord, give me the courage that I need. Help me to be strong. Help me to be planted in your, and stand on your you know, word, your promises for me. Lord, help me, help me to thirdly fight the good fight of the spirit. Nehemiah, listen, he says, fight for your wives, fight for your brethren, fight for your children. You guys, fight the good fight of the Spirit and don't give up. And it is a fight out there. And you fight for your family. You do what is right. Men, you love your wives as Christ loves the church. Fight for your wives. You tell her how much you love her and you serve her and you cherish her and you live with her in an understanding way with honor as it tells us in 1 Peter. And you ask the Lord, help me to be that loving husband that you called me to, the loving father that you called me to be. And guys, and I know I'm addressing guys, but I just feel like that's what the Lord wants me to do right now. You fight for your children. You pray for them. We cannot, in the day in which we're living in, say, well, I hope my kids don't get into any trouble or go through any difficulties. I hope they're doing okay. We've got to do more than hope. We need to pray for them. And be like Job, who got up every morning and he sacrificed on behalf of his kids, lest they may have sinned. And we need to give that sacrifice of prayer to the, to the Lord every day for our children. Fight the good fight. You fight for your family, your kids, your wife, and for your brethren. Let's pray for one another because it isn't easy out there. And encourage one another and lift each other up and love each other and really care for each other. That's not emphasized in the church today. But may we really reach out and that brotherly love and encouragement and pray for one another and depend on the Lord and build each other up in that way. 
And that's what Nehemiah does, this godly man. And it happened, verse 15, when our enemies heard it, it was known to us that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. The scripture says in James, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Will you remember that? What do you do when the enemy is attacking? Put on the whole armor of God. You submit to God, resist the devil, and the promise is that he will flee from you. In verse 16, so it was from that time on that the half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spear, the shields, the bows, and, and were, wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. And those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. And every one of the builders had his sword girded to his side as he built. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. So here they are. They have a trial in one hand. The sword that is strapped to them. The sword, of course, Paul says that you need to have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God that you have as you are being guided and directed by God's Word to give you the wisdom and the instructions and the truth that are given to us so we can live the way that he wants us to and we don't have to be deceived, we don't have to be foolish, we don't have to be weak, we don't have to be indecisive, but Lord, I got the sword of the word and we can stand on his promises and I got a trial on one hand. I'm gonna fight that good fight of the spirit. I'm gonna pray for my family. I'm gonna pray for my kids. I'm gonna encourage the brethren. I'm gonna do this work that you've called me to do and I know that I can't do it by myself, but Lord, you will help me to do it. You will help me to build what it is that you're having me to build and being part of the kingdom of God. And I'm going to be, Lord, one that looks to you for everything because the enemy is going to continue to attack. The discouragement and the mocking is going to come. But, Lord, you're the one that is faithful. And then I said to the nobles, verse 19, and the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we're separated far from one another on the wall. And wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. One other thing. Hey, we're kind of spread out. We're kind of thin. You ever feel alone? You ever feel isolated? You know what's a good thing about being a part? of the body of Christ and being a part of a good church that the brethren love you, that we got each other's back. Hey, if something happens, blow the trumpet. We'll be there. We'll be close. We'll be there to encourage your family, to help you, to minister to you. I love the ministry that takes place here at Calvary Chapel. What you guys do for each other, how you love each other, simple, practical things. That's the way it should be. Working together you know, caring for one another, sharing and making meals and, and, you know, helping out. And I know that if my house was to burn down tonight, that I would have a place to stay, really. I wouldn't worry about it. And I know that you feel the same way, that you have brothers and sisters that will come along and help you and encourage you. And that's the way that the body of Christ should be working. So in verse 21, so we labored in the work and half of the men held their spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. And at the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servant stay at night at Jerusalem that they may be our guard by night and working party 
by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. So they continue to do the work of the Lord. And when we get into chapter 5 next time, what we're going to see is that, that there's going to be another problem that can happen that Nehemiah is going to address that will keep us from continuing to do the work of the Lord in our lives. So, Father, we thank you for this study. We thank you for this wonderful chapter. And, Lord, we can get discouraged. We can get down. We can get um, to where, um, Lord, the accuser of the brethren really begins to hit us hard. So, Father, may these lessons and the application that we made really help us to be seeking you and depending on you. And, Lord... Keep our focus on you. And Lord, to know that greater is he that is in us than he is in the world. And I do pray tonight, if there's anybody that is here or listening on live stream, that you've never come to Jesus and surrendered your life to him. That the Lord... Jesus went to the cross for you. And what he did is he shed his blood because all of us are sinners. And that's what the Bible very clearly declares. We've all broken the law. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus, the Son of God who lived a perfect life, came and died for you. He loves you so much that he demonstrated his love for you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? And if that means anything to anyone who's listening to this message, we're going to come to the communion table here soon. And, and it's remembering what Jesus did for us, allowing his body to be broken, his blood shed for forgiveness of sin. It won't mean anything to you if, if you're not a Christian, if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus. Jesus was not only one that paid the penalty for our sins and shedding his blood for forgiveness of sin, but he was put into a grave and he rose again after three days. And he's alive. And the Bible says that if you believe in the Lord Jesus with your heart and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Will you call upon the name of the Lord tonight? He is your salvation. There is none other. There's no other salvation, only Jesus died for you and rose from the grave. And you can pray, Jesus, I come and I turn to you now. I have sinned, I confess I'm a sinner. And I now repent and I turn to you. I turn direction and I surrender my life to you and I believe that you're the Son of God who died for me and you rose again. Be my personal Lord and Savior. Oh, thank you for your love for me. My life is not his own. And help me to live for you all the days of my life. And now as we come to the communion table, I pray that we would just worship and just be at all at the wonderful provision as we sang tonight of the cross, the wondrous cross, and what Jesus has done for us. Maybe a time of just marveling once again at your incredible love, allowing us to be a part of this new covenant. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
We're going to open up the communion table. We're going to do something a little different on this Wednesday night that we've done on other Wednesday nights. What I want you to do is come up and you can get your communion elements and then go back to your seats and then just continue in worship and prayer and then I'm going to come up and we'll take a communion together, all right? So we're going to do it that way tonight and you can come up the aisles and just come on down and, and um, go back to your seats and just be in a... Uh, you know, an attitude of prayer and worship and thanking the Lord for what he's done. And then I'm going to come up and we'll, I'll lead us into taking of the elements together.